Happy New Year and welcome to Talking Scared. I'm your host, Neil McRobert, and this week, well, well, it's just me. Yeah, I've decided to take a week off from interviewing um, and instead spend some time looking ahead at all the horror to come in 2021. I do mean fictional horror. We've all had quite enough of reality for a while, thank you very much. When did we last have the luxury or the sheer audacity to look forward to anything? I mean, it feels like tempting fate to even mention it, especially as here in the UK, we've just entered the worst sequel since The Exorcist 2. I'm calling it Lockdown 3. Don't even open your curtains. Even in the midst of this absolute cluster fumble, though, 2021 as a whole can only be an improvement. We've got the vaccine... The grown-ups are about to take charge of the White House again. And on top of that, we've got a mega calendar of dark fiction just waiting to spill its inky guts all over your carpet. And if you think I'm trivially clinging to the promise of good books to get me through the next few months, then, well, yeah, I am. So what, aren't you? I've spoken to publishers, I've scoured the blogs, and I've hit next page roughly three million times on Goodreads all to bring you a breakdown of what we have to look forward to over the next 12 months. I can't mention every book I know about, obviously, there are hundreds. If I don't mention your novel, if I don't mention your favourite author's book, then don't take it amiss. Let me know, I'll look into it. But if you do want a really exhaustive list of horror in 2021, then I'd, I'd recommend going to Tor Nightfire's website and looking at Emily Hughes's blog of horror to come over the next 12 months. And she does great work and deserves all our applause. I've just put together some key highlights, some books that really excite me, some books I've already read that have blown me away. These are the real standout things that I want to read and want you to read in 2021. They aren't all books that are locked in for the show, I hope a lot of these authors will come on and talk to me and and a lot of them have already agreed to and I'm really thrilled about that. I do have a seriously exciting roster of guests already booked in well into late spring though. There isn't all that much announced for the later months of the year so I'll probably come back and do another one of these in the summer to capture those autumn and winter novels. But I do have a good idea of the standout titles all the way through to late August-ish. That's a good eight months of grisly, creepy or delicious fiction to build the rest of your apocalypse around. I expect you all to listen to this with the website of your bookseller of choice open and check out Primed. Because if we can't buy books to get us through the final furlong of a global pandemic, then we may as well all go back to bed. So, consider this my public service announcement. Here are the books to look forward to in 2021. So January is a bumper month already. Uh, We're going to kick off with The Last Thing to Burn by Will Dean. This is a novel that I read last year and I wanted to feature it on my top 10 books of the year. And to be honest, if I had, it would have come in firmly at number one. It's phenomenal. And I, I really mean that. This is an incredible book. It's about a young woman who is kept captive in a farmhouse in rural England and the things she has to endure to survive and escape. I don't want to tell you any more because it's a tight, vicious little thriller. Best experience cold. The greatest accolade I can give it is that I lent it to my mother, who's who's not a horror fan, and she read it in one night. Um, I talked to Will 
He'll be our first guest of the year next week. You'll hear in that interview how much I, I gush about this novel. I cannot see this not being in the upper reaches of my top 10 for 2021. Any book is going to have to go a really long way to knock this off its perch. It's brilliant. January also offers a return by C.J. Tudor with The Burning Girls. Simply put, it's her best book to date. I like The Short Man. I really like The Hiding Place, or as it's sometimes known, The Disappearance of Annie Thorne. I wasn't too impressed by The Other People, but The Burning Girls is fantastic. It's a fast-paced piece of folk horror set in the modern day in southern England in this creepy little village. It feels kind of like a soapy Stephen King novel. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. We've also got Laura Purcell coming back to Victorian Gothic with The Shape of Darkness. It's about an artist who seeks out a child spirit medium in order to speak to the dead and to identify a murderer. Laura is the best at what she does, which is kind of modern Gothic revisionism. Uh, again, Laura will be on the show. I'm looking forward to speaking to her because the Gothic is where my heart is. It's where her heart is. If you're into that kind of cosy creepiness for the winter months, I think you could do a lot worse than The Shape of Darkness by Laura Purcell. Into February, and there's a lot of great female horror. First of all, a book I'm really excited about, The Project by Courtney Summers. Now, this is a young adult release. It follows a character called Lo as she tries to inveigle her way into and then expose an organisation that may just be a murderous cult. Her attempt upends everything that she thinks she knows about herself, about cults and the world around her, to the point where she can no longer tell what's real or true. And that's me quoting the publisher directly. It promised to be a complex, nasty piece of work from an author who describes herself as the master of the bitch. And I'm interested to see what YA fiction can do, because there's a lot of it being published. As, as I've said elsewhere on this show, I have problems with that title. Not because I don't think YA fiction is good, but I feel that by calling it YA, you're sometimes curtailing your audience. The Project by Courtney Summers, it will be an interesting one, and I'm looking forward to reading it next. We also have Gemma Files back with another collection of short fiction. This one is called In That Endlessness, Our End. And again, I'm going to read from the publisher's synopsis because this does more justice than I could do. So here's what they say. Heard the one about the Airbnb that eats your dreams? Or the Iron Crown King who preys on his own bloodline from the air, still smouldering centuries after being burnt alive? How about the cloudy antique bottle you can wish your excess rage inside? Or that crooked alley down which someone waits to replace your disappointing child with a far more pleasant facsimile? Yeah, Gemma Files does kind of nuanced creeps better than most short story writers, to be honest. This collection features a story called The Puppet Motel, which is hands down the most unnerving thing I read last year. Unnerving is a word that sounds like damning with faint praise. You know, it sounds weaker than terrified. I think unnerving is more powerful. It's that kind of fear that lingers with you after you close the book. The Puppet Motel is a quietly horrifying short story that I read at just the right or just the wrong time, depending on whether you like to be scared or not. Gemma's going to be on the show to talk about all things horrific. I haven't read this collection yet. I've read a few pieces from it, but if they're anything to go by, it's one you've got to get your hands on. Yeah. 
In That Endlessness, Our End by Gemma Files. To finish off February, we've got a book called The Sanatorium by Sarah Pierce. It's a twisted thriller set in the Swiss Alps, and it sits on that border where crime fiction blends into gothic and horror. It's got a great setting, which is a kind of dilapidated old sanatorium that's been turned into a modern day spa where people disappear strangely. Uh, It sounds to be a perfect read for a weekend when you want to be kept guessing. I used to live in Switzerland for a while as well, so I'm looking forward to talking to Sarah about why she set her horror novel there. After all, I think it's quite difficult to be grim when you have fondue. So I'm quite interested in a Swiss set horror novel. Going into spring, obviously the big name, Stephen King. He's back with a novel called Later via Hard Case Crime. And, you know, King does some of his most interesting stuff via Hard Case Crime. He published Joyland via that imprint. And that's one of my favourite books he's written in the last sort of 10 years. If it even is the last 10 years, God. This one, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit concerned about it. I'm a little bit worried. It, it's about a child with special abilities who helps a detective track down a killer who may be reaching out from beyond the grave. It's very, very King. So much so that it may be too King. You know, kids with special powers, detectives, you know, working out supernaturally inflected crimes. It all sounds very close to stuff he's done before. It sounds like he's smashing these things together with increasingly small Venn diagrams at their heart. But if anyone can pull it off, King can. I've always got the greatest hopes for a King novel, even if now and again he does crush those hopes a little bit. I would say it does feel like we're due a big King book soon, though, considering that later follows on from If It Bleeds, which was a series of novellas, the Gwendy series and Elevation, each of which were quite minor work for him. Also, I'm not a massive fan of the Holly Gibney series. I want him to, I want him to move away from that procedural series fiction and, and get back to doing the, the big epic horror that he's he's so good at. It feels a while since he's done that. So I'm hoping he has said that next year will be a two book year. So let's hope that later in the year, something unexpected is coming out of left field that blows away. Speaking of blowing us away, though, in March, we have The Last House on Needless Street by Katrina Ward. This book is everywhere. Bookstagram, booktube, Twitter. You can't move for seeing the front cover of this book. And all I'll say is, believe the hype. It's almost impossible to describe this book without spoiling some aspects of it, so I'm not going to try. I will read you the synopsis from the back of the, the actual book I've got in my hand. That seems to be the safest thing. You tell me that this doesn't grab you by the guts and make you want to read this story. Here goes. The Last House on Needless Street is the story of a murderer, a stolen child and revenge. It's the story of Ted, who lives with his daughter Lauren and his cat Olivia in an ordinary house at the end of an ordinary street. All these things are true, and yet some of them are lies. You think you know what's inside the Last House on Needless Street. You think you've read this story before. In the dark forest at the end of Needless Street, something lies buried, but it's not what you think. If there's an award for writing book blurbs, then whoever wrote that should win it. I was hooked when I read that. As you read the book, it just pulls you further and further in. As I said with Will Dean and The Last Thing to Burn, 
I cannot imagine how, how this book is not going to be on my, maybe not just top 10 horror of the year, but all time horror of the year. I may have to go back and revisit that list. It's that good. It's out in March in the UK. I'm not quite sure with the US. It seems like there may be some pushback on that to late in the year. I'm, I'm not quite sure. But Katrina is coming on the show to talk all about it. I'm really excited to speak to her. And I'm really excited for you all to read The Last House on Needless Street. Into April, a pair of books that grab my attention. The first is Whisper Down the Lane by Clay McLeod Chapman. Now, I missed out on Clay's first novel, The Remaking, and I hope to discuss it when he's on the show because it sounds quite cool and experimental. It's, it's about the same story being told in four different ways from a campfire tale to a, a reality TV show to a, an interview um, and how the story kind of changes in a Chinese whisper kind of way. Sounds interesting. His newest, Whisper Down the Lane, sounds right up my street as it takes place in the middle of the 80s satanic panic. Now, the 80s is a great era for horror and the satanic panic isn't mined anywhere near enough for, you know, what an influential thing it was. This one is derived from a, a real event known as the McMartin Preschool case. I've got to admit, I know nothing about that, so research is needed. Um, if you've heard of it, then that may really pique your interest. But we have had our own share of controversy in the UK over, over this kind of moral panic. So it feels like really fertile ground for Clay's take on the genre. After that, we have Near the Bone by Christina Henry, which is one of several novels this year, which takes the wilderness as a horror setting and exploits it for all it's worth. In this one, a man and a woman live alone on the mountain together, and we are told that she must never make him upset. But when she discovers a body of a fox mutilated in the woods, she realises they're not alone after all. And as the back of the book tells us, there's something in the woods that wasn't there before, something that makes strange cries in the night, something with sharp teeth and claws. I love Christina's writing, and yeah, this one I'm excited for. I know I keep saying that. I'm excited generally. It's, it's a good year of writing, but yeah, this one sounds good. As we head into summer, things get serious. We've got quite a few big names with, with new releases in July and August. And it's quite interesting to look at those those names, because a few years ago, names like Grady Hendrix and Riley Sager, they were, you know, fledgling authors. And, and now they are big, big headliners in the field. And there's a real feel of the genre returning to the excesses and the, the, the tentpole fiction of the 80s and 90s. And that makes me happy because imagine going on a holiday again and lying on a sun lounger or leaning back against a tree or a fence or just being anywhere that isn't your own sofa. And imagine cracking open one of these bad boys and just getting lost in another world. You know, it, it really does. It warms the cockles on a cold January evening. Um, we kick off in July with Riley Sager's Survive the Night, which has a hook that will just pull you in. It's November 1991. George Bush is in the White House. Nirvana's on the tape deck. And movie-obsessed college student Charlie Jordan is in a car with a man who might be a serial killer. I mean, there you go. That is streamlined horror. Straight for the throat horror. Sounds fantastic. And I also like the little reference to movie-obsessed college student. Because it's a weird thing this summer. There's a, a handful of novels which all seem to be influenced by that meta-trend of 
knowing your own genre. Two more that, that fit that bill. The Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix and My Heart as a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones. Hendrix's book has been kept fairly under wraps. What little we do know about it suggests that it follows a group of young women, Final Girls, who have all survived their own horrors and who must now band together to battle another murderous threat. It sounds quite similar in premise to the TV show Scream Queens, as well as, funnily enough, Riley Sager's novel Final Girls. But this is Grady Hendrix, people. Nothing Grady does is unoriginal or derivative, so I expect this to be an equally innovative take on the theme. The same can be said for Stephen Graham Jones, or SGJ, as he seems to be known now in horror circles. My Heart is a Chainsaw sounds like Wes Craven's scream for the next generation. Or is it actually the generation after that? God, I'm old. It's described thusly. In her quickly gentrifying rural lake town, Jade is trapped in a real-life slasher film, events only her encyclopedic knowledge of horror films could have prepared her for, in this latest novel from the Jordan Peele of horror literature. I'm annoyed by the Jordan Peele comparison. Everything, if it's got a twist these days, if it's, if it's cine-literate, then it's the Jordan Peele of this, the Jordan Peele of that. I would say it's the Stephen Graham Jones of horror literature, because no one does this stuff like him. No one turns tropes and moulds back on themselves like Stephen Graham Jones. So this really could be a scream-level eruption in the genre. It's one of the top three books I'm most excited to read this year, and I can't wait for it. The Book of Accidents, however, by Chuck Wendig, is the book I'm most excited to read all year. Chuck released The Wanderers, was it two years ago? And it's just about the most satisfying read. Well, I've read in ages. The Book of Accidents sounds like exactly my kind of fiction. It sounds like a book's been written for me. Long ago, Nathan lived in a house in the country with his abusive father and has never told his family what happened there. Long ago, Maddie was a little girl making dolls in her bedroom when she saw something she shouldn't have and is trying to remember the lost trauma by making haunting sculptures. Long ago, something sinister, something hungry, walked the tunnels and the mountains and the coal mines of their hometown in rural Pennsylvania. Now, that has all the makings of a classic in my eyes. Bifurcated storylines with sinister flashbacks? Check. Creepy memories and family dynamics? Check. A local urban legend and monster? Mega check. I cannot wait for this. I'm already planning my summer holiday reading around it. Chuck, man, please come on the show to talk about it. As we head into August, another book that, you know, takes us back to the 80s, takes us back to those Stephen King days, and it's Chasing the Bogeyman by Richard Chismar. This one sounds really interesting. Richard Chismar is a name more people should know. He's the editor of Cemetery Dance magazine, and he collaborated with Stephen King on the Gwendy's Button Box series, which he now continues. He's also got a fantastic collection of short fiction called A Long December, which I recommend. Chasing the Bogeyman is a different kind of work for him, though. It's a metafictional blend of horror and true crime in which a fictionalised Chismar goes back to his hometown in Maryland in 1988, where the mutilated bodies of several missing girls have begun to turn up. The evidence suggests a serial killer is on the loose, but soon rumours begin to spread that the evil stalking local teens is not entirely human. And the novel takes the form of Richard's pseudo-factual personal account of that summer, 
Rich has already agreed to come on the show to talk about the book, and I'll be grilling him about how much of the story is actually fiction. All of that already sounds like the best summer of horror in recent memory. But it is a bit of a white male sausage fest. Lots of big male names. Again, it's reminiscent of the 80s and 90s when King and McCammon and Cooch ruled supreme. And I love that. But as I've stressed elsewhere on this show, I'm really keen to explore the wealth of diversity in contemporary horror. And I'm really interested in two authors with books out this summer, each of which confronts the problem of race and misogyny in history and the present day. Zakia Delilah Harris has got The Other Black Girl coming out in June. Now, there's lots of buzz about this one again. It's about Nella, the only black female employee in a publishing house. She's tired of the microaggressions and the everyday prejudice. And when another young black woman is hired, she's delighted. But when strange events start to occur and threatening notes begin to appear in her cubicle, Nella's obsession and paranoia begin to rise. I've heard it described as Gossip Girl via Black Mirror, and it sounds like exactly the kind of socially aware, horror-adjacent writing that I like to feature on the show to, to show how far the parameters of modern horror can stretch. Following that, in August, we've got Latanya McQueen's When the Reckoning Comes. This is much more of a kind of visceral horror novel in which a black woman returns to her hometown to attend a wedding that happens to be held in the grounds of a plantation house. Sounds crass and gross enough already, right? That's without the antebellum details, the racist reenactments, the entirely black serving staff, and the rumours of torture and the phantoms of slaves that still haunt the site. It sounds to be a novel about confronting the past, both personal, communal and national, which sounds just about right for the autopsy of Trump's America. I'm really hoping that I can get Latanya on the show to discuss it in more detail. As we go into autumn, or fall, for half of my listeners, things get harder to pin down. There's a lot of time between now and then, and if 2020 was anything to go by, we can't really trust release calendars. And there'll be a lot of stuff coming out that hasn't been announced yet. But here are some picks we do know about. In October, we've got Cassandra Kaur's Nothing But Blackened Teeth, which is a phenomenal title. And the book is billed as a gorgeously creepy haunted house tale steeped in Japanese folklore. It's about an old mansion that was once the site of ritual sacrifice and now the location for a wedding party. As the synopsis says, all of that would be okay if not for the ghost bride with a black smile and a hungry heart. It actually sounds quite thematically similar to Latanya McQueen's When the Reckoning Comes, but I'm I'm interested in Cassandra Quall, who I've heard a lot of good things about, and I'm, I'm all for horror set in other cultures and other folk traditions. If there's anything last year the Only Good Indians taught us, it's how important it is for authors to delve into alternative traditions for the monsters and heroes. It, it widens the net and keeps things interesting. And, you know, monsters are important, cultural currency... I love a haunted New England village, but it's nice to see some variation once in a while. After that, we've got Cackle by Rachel Harrison. Recent listeners will know how much Rachel Harrison scared me with the return. During our conversation, she mentioned that her next book, Cackle, is something quite different. From the brief description I've seen, it sounds a much lighter novel in which a millennial woman moves to a small town and befriends a mysterious local who may or may not be a witch. 
And that's Rachel's caveat. It sounds satirical and whimsical in that nice John Wyndham, Ira Levin, Stepford Wives sort of way. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to Cackle. See what it see what it is. Lastly, in October, we get Echo by Thomas Old Herbstadt. Thomas is the author of Hex, which came out to rapturous applause a few years back. Must admit, I haven't read it myself, but I've seen multiple people say the black eyed witch is terrifying. So, yeah, I should get around to reading that. Echo is his sophomore novel. Again, it's set in the Alps, which is the second book in this list after the sanatorium. In this story, two hikers explore an undocumented region of the mountains, slowly becoming aware that something is tracking them down. When one of them awakes to find the other slaughtered and himself maimed, the terror is only beginning because dum-dum-dum, something has awakened inside him. It sounds like a beautifully B-movie way to head into the final months of 2021, and hopefully by then, we'll all be out of the woods ourselves. So that's my rundown of the hottest title set to shiver your timbers over the next 12 months. That's 52 weeks of terror, 365 days and nights of nightmare fuel. I hope you spend the time well. There are lots of rumours too. For instance, I keep hearing reference to Joel Hill's Up the Chimney Down, and I'm excited. The title alone has that great balance of horror and innocence that really raises questions. Rumour has it that the novel may be set in the same world as Nosferatu, perhaps dealing with the walking backwards man. There's no real TBA on the on the date of publication yet, but fingers crossed it could be this year. Even bigger news, Clive Barker took to Twitter a month or so back to say that he was back to writing and had had years worth of finished stuff ready to release on the public. That would be the kind of shock release that could really define horror in 2021. What I'm most excited about, however, is the book that I don't even know about yet. I've tended towards recognised names in this preview, but there's always a debut that kills an unknown book from an author you haven't heard of that comes along and melts your head. It happened more than once last year with Gabe Bergmoser's The Hunted and Joel Kaplan's It Will Just Be Us. I can't wait to find out what it will be this year. It promises to be an excellent year for horror. So many of these amazing authors have already agreed to come on the show, and a lot of that is down to you. The more you engage with Talking Scared and help raise the platform, the easier it is for me to get great guests to come on board and tell you all the dirty secrets behind their stories. So keep talking to me, guys. It's a lonely old pastime sitting here in my garret putting this together. Your emails and tweets make it all worthwhile. You can reach me, as ever, at TalkScaredPod on Twitter or email me at TalkingScaredPod at gmail.com. Get in touch. Tell me what you're looking forward to reading. What have I missed? Even better, tell me who you'd like to hear me speak to and, you know, I'll do my best for you. I'll be back next week with Will Dean to talk about The Last Thing to Burn. And once again, it truly is the most brilliant, brilliant novel. I mean, epically good. But for now, hunker down, shelter in place, follow the guidelines and wait for this to all blow over. Read good books and remember, it's good to be scared.